Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. It seems that we spend all of our local political time talking about land use, wineries, the definition of ag, watersheds, and wine marketing. All county issues. But there are many issues that the cities face. And they, of course, come into bold relief with elections for city council. I think it says something about the state of the city that our mayor is running unopposed and that only one challenger has emerged to the two council incumbents seeking to return to the council. I think it says some good things about city management and progress, but certainly with progress and success come some new problems and new issues. And we're going to talk about them today in the context of our discussions with candidates for Napa City Council. And joining me today is the the challenger, I suppose, for the Napa City Council seat, Doris Gentry. Doris, good, thanks so much for coming in. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Oh, well, it's a beautiful day. Well, tell us why you're running for City Council. You've run before, but beyond just running and wanting to be on City Council, wh- why, why are you doing this? Well, you know, I've lived in Napa for 27 years, and I love this community, and I have great vision and ideas about the future. I think there are a lot of things that we are doing great, but I think there are a lot of things we could do better. And what are some of those things as you see it? Well, you know, Jeff, one of the things everybody talks a lot about is housing. Uh, you know, the city is addressing housing in this way and that way. And I'm saying, you know, we've been talking about the housing needs for years. We need to just fix it. We need to fix the housing problem in Napa. So we can't go out tomorrow and just build 4,000 new homes or 4,000 new Uh, apartment units, but we do need to be more aggressive with the things that we can do in the city to make affordable housing, workforce housing, and homeless housing a reality. Oh, and vet housing. Our veterans need housing, too. It's certainly not the city's role to build housing. The city can do things that make it easier for builders, developers, etc., but it's certainly not something the city can do in right. terms of creating housing right. out of whole cloth. Exactly. The city can't be a housing developer, but the city can offer incentives and bonuses for people that are building already or desiring to build. The city can offer them all sorts of incentives for them to build housing that will accept Section 8 vouchers and will accept the population that most often builders do not want to accept. Certainly the city has has done that on numerous occasions and they've increased their affordable housing impact fees significantly in order to have some money to be able to do those kinds of things. What more would you like to see specifically? Well, for one thing, when I was on the board of Catholic Charities, most people don't realize I was the token Baptist on the board of Catholic Charities, and I loved my years and years of service there. And we had a pool of funds. We had a a bank account for housing, and we master leased apartments, and then we put tenants into those apartments and when there was a demise a problem or an issue and the tenant was forced to vacate that property because of some breach of the contract noise abatement or parties or or you know property destruction we had this this pot of money that we went in and we 
mitigated the problems. We fixed up the issues. We repainted and we got the property ready and we rented it again. Now, that was something that Catholic Charities could do. It's not necessarily the business that the city of Napa is in. No, it isn't. The city of Napa could have a pool of funds like that. For example, we have a pool of funds for first-time homeowners and uh, a pot of money that we can co-invest with a first-time purchaser to put down and help them buy property and buy real estate. We can develop pots of money for landlords, sort of like a second level of insurance. And and the city is doing a lot of things in this regard. And this is a problem that is not only a Napa problem, but a problem that is pervasive throughout Mm. the Bay Area. Yes, absolutely. As land prices. And a lot of communities are are doing, you know, different experiments and different ways of approaching it. The other part of this, and, and I'd like you to comment on this, is that as difficult as that is, all of this is here in Napa, we're dealing with a situation where housing prices here, difficult as they are, are significantly less than quite a lot of other places in the Bay Area. Right. Well, you know, but we have to deal with our community. And in Napa, um, there are a couple of ways we can solve housing problems. One is by having a, you know, a kind of a co-insurance pool of money that people would apply for and we would use it for uh, that in case of destruction of property or something where we would fix up the property for the landlord. Another thing we can do is offer more incentive for developers to have housing uh, combined with their development project. For example, if you're going to build a 300-room hotel, why not also build a 50-room apartment complex? Resorts all across the world do that and have um, apartments for their employees and their employees live right there on the grounds of the project and don't have to commute. A lot of those happen in places where there's a lot more land and a yes, lot less yes. uh, being boxed in. Than and a lot less where land is bought by the square foot instead of by the acre. This is exactly true. But the but the issue is we still could have housing. We could still have a hotel project who puts 50 units or 40 units uh, off the basement or off the back side behind the kitchen and the laundry room facilities that could have a place where people live. In Europe, the castles all have a place where people live, and then they walk upstairs every day to go to work. We could do more of that. There are a lot of resorts all over the world that provide limited housing right there for people that live and work at the property, which would prevent us from having so many more people driving to the lower-paying jobs. There, well, there are also significant NIMBY issues that, oh, that yeah. enter into that. Well, there and are. zoning issues. And there I are. I could go on. But if we had a development project where you had a massive number of employees, if we were to attract a labor force, say a job company out in the industrial park, where we could also annex land for the building of 40 units for the employees to live and sleep in, that would be a possible solution, and it has worked in other places. But another thing is our homeless population 
you know, our homeless population, some reports say is 240. Some reports say it's 350 chronic homeless. But when you have homeless and they're not housed, they cost a city about $100,000 a year. The city of Portland has done extensive research on the cost of a homeless person. It costs about $100,000 a year. But when you house a homeless person, the cost of that homeless person drops to $25,000 a year. So it saves the, the city $75,000 a year to house a homeless person because a homeless person drives up our costs by being arrested and rearrested, by going to the hospital. All of the issues that happen to a homeless person because every day they're thinking about food, shelter, and clothing. When you remove when you remove that part of their brain that is constantly thinking about food, shelter, and clothing, that person begins to think about other things. And what they've learned when they house people that are homeless is that within 18 months, people begin stepping up. Once people get well, once they're fed, warm, and dry, once they get their flu shot, they start thinking about more of life. To what extent do you think that that should be? And certainly, you know, it's it's very noble, and there are places like San Francisco where the problem is significantly Staggering. larger by factors of, of, of thousands, and they haven't been able to solve it there. To what extent does that need, in your view, to be a priority of uh, the city and the city council? Well, I think it's a massive priority that I don't think we've been addressing. And the reason I think it's such a priority is because we're a world-class city with 3 million tourists a year. And yet we have a food bank that runs out of food. And we have homeless people on our street. And we have chronic people in the emergency room at the hospital that have no shelter and live out in the elements. I have foster kids and we can't find them and we go down looking for them under the bridges and in all the normal places. There's homeless people everywhere and we need to house these people. We have a duty and a responsibility to these 240 people or 340 people to give them some sort of a dignity and statistics show that after 18 months of housed that the majority of them begin to buck up and step up and move on so then that group that remains behind are your chronic homeless that you cannot help that's your chronic group that needs a permanent higher level of services but if we could help 60% of that group to become gainful, employed people. That would be amazing. I want to talk about uh, some of the larger issues facing the city as well. Talk a little bit about transportation and a little bit about what you would like to see the city doing or looking at with respect to transportation issues. Uh, transportation in the regard of the massive traffic jams, well, do you, do you think traffic's a problem? Let's start there. 
Well, has anybody driven to American Canyon or tried to get out of the city of Napa? I mean, we know there's a there's a traffic nightmare. And we also know that, you know, it's proposed we'll have another thousand hotel rooms in the next year or two. We'll have another 500 homes here and 200 homes there. And so the congestion that is already facing us is going to just get worse. So we need to do a lot of evaluation and experimentation of how to mitigate this traffic nightmare. It is a nightmare. I have it on my flyer. It's a traffic nightmare, and we need solutions, not more talking. I think that we just do a lot of talking, but we don't sit down and solve the problems just like like what what's your solution to american canyon traffic so my solution to american canyon traffic is is nothing because we're the napa city council so napa does not have any control over american canyon but napa does have control over napa and when i leave the college when i leave this college at three or four or five o'clock on a weekday i can barely get out of the parking lot because soskel is backed up wall to wall you know, there's a traffic problem everywhere in Napa, and we do need to look at it. We need, I like the idea of roundabouts. I like the idea of flyovers, like the flyover we built at Highway 29 in Trancas. I like the idea of how those things keep the traffic flowing instead of bottlenecking it. I like the idea of synchronized stoplights and Um, You know, as much as we would hate it, we might need to add a lane somewhere to make more traffic be able to flow through. But we do need to look at it. But what I was going to say about solutions like Pixar, Pixar rewards their employees for ideas that fail because they believe every time you have an idea that fails, you're about to have an idea that succeeds. They want their employees to be idea-generating machines. And I think the people that work in transportation in this city probably have 40 good ideas that we could reward them for their ideas and put their ideas in place. Except that most of the problems that you're talking about, while they may be problems that exist or <coughs> bottlenecks that exist in the city, they really require regional solutions. They involve the county or they involve state oh, highway. Oh, yes, right, right, they right. They involve an yes. awful lot of and institutions. Money, that lots have, of and money, lots of money. lots of money. Yes, and so the whole idea of collaboration and leveraging, you can't have collaboration or leveraging if you don't start the conversation. So I'm saying, you know, if we're going to even hope to have a solution two years or three years from now, we need to start the conversation today. We need to be coming up today with what are the ideas and solutions and then begin applying for that. At one point in my life, I worked for a five-county regional development agency. I was the consultant for that. And what we did is we put together HUD and block grant money that we leveraged with city, county, and state money to fix infrastructure in southern Illinois. We had a lot of collapsing sewers and collapsing water mains, and it was different than our collapsing uh, pipes that we have here in Napa because back there, 
the pipes were all built with bricks and each brick was hand laid in a circular fashion and it just circled all the way out to the river or the sewer plant or wherever it went it was all individually laid bricks and we had a lot of collapsing uh, infrastructure and we put together grants and things to go in and line those sewers and those water systems with new piping and so leveraging money is not a new concept or a new idea and it's certainly something I'm very familiar with but to say that the developer needs to pay for the job I think is not fair I think there needs to be leveraging and co-participation on every project as you look forward, if you were to be on the city council towards the when I'm going to be on the city council with respect to the Napa general plan update, talk about the issues that you think are important for the city to consider in that update. Well, you know we we are considering a lot of important issues, and I hear a lot of conversation about having enough parks to service all of the regions, you know, the different home regions that we have in the community, fixing roads and streets, that's a priority, as well as infill. Development has to go up, apartments have to go up, high, you know, not high rises, but we do definitely need some five-story apartment density in the downtown area. But in order to do that, we also need the shopping in the downtown area, like the grocery stores and the pharmacy and the places for people to be able to walk. How does that fit in as you see it with the current downtown specific plan? Well, I'm not, I would not say because I'm not elected. I have read the downtown specific plan and I think the downtown specific plan is good. But I think when you take a look at what we've got going on, we need to take a deeper, bigger, more serious look at fixing the roads. And I would really like to talk about that. So are we able to switch hats and talk about roads for a second? Sure, go ahead. Well, you know, in our city, we have 464 lane miles of roads, Jeff. And with 464 lane miles of roads, fixing 10 miles a year is not going to cut it because that would be 46 years to get to the whole city. And that's just not go that's not going to work. Well, not all of them are in need of immediate repair. I mean, that's, and a lot have been done. Well, you take a Target shopping center. Every five to seven years, they completely resurface the shopping center. You know, roads are a constant maintenance issue. They need help. And so with the Golden Gate Bridge, it takes 10, 10 years to paint the bridge from one end to the other. And they go through the bridge and they paint and they weld and they know how many employees and how much progress needs to be made every single day so that at the end of 10 years, they go back to the beginning and start over. Well, if you take our roads, for example, if all of our roads were fixed and every year we just started over at the beginning, how many miles of road would we need to do every year to be able to get all of our roads done every 10 years? I mean, it's, you know, to me, it's simple math. You go back to the mathematical equation and you figure out how to get this done. So it's 
$120,000 a mile to fix a road if it's in good shape. But if the road has failed, it's $1.2 million a mile. So it behooves us to fix our roads and keep our roads in top-notch order and not let our roads fall behind because that bumps us from a world-class city to an embarrassment. And our sidewalks, oh my gosh, that's just a real big mess. So I'm saying if we had to repair every road in Napa, it'd be 56 I mean, today, if we were going to do it next week, it'd be $56 million. Assuming we have no failed roads and $120,000 a mile, it'd be $56 million. Now, Which I don't all, think we have lying around. Well, I don't know. How much was it to build a new city hall? Oh, that's right, $54 million. So we can build ourselves a new castle, but we can't take care of our roads and sidewalks. So that's like a mixed metaphor to me. Well, I don't think we're building a castle, and there, there's development. I mean, it, it's not comparing apples to apples, Doris. I think oh, you it's know my that. illustration. That's how uh, I'm comparing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not apples to apples. No, you know, but the thing is, we do we do find money to do what we want to do and what we think we need to do when we think we need to do it. So I'm just saying we need a more aggressive sidewalk and roads plan and a more aggressive plan to remove those uh, liquid amber trees with this prickly little gumballs all over them, you know, that tear up the sidewalks. Any shallow root tree we need to remove and replace, and we need to really take a hard look at beautifying our city from a roads and sidewalks and curbside trees standpoint. I want to talk to you a little bit about endorsements. Oh, okay. And on your flyer, which you have in front of you, you have some endorsements on there from Supervisor Alfredo Pedroza and County Superintendent Barbara Nemco, all of whom say they have never officially endorsed you. They have never signed an endorsement. Could you uh, respond to that? Okay, yeah, I sure can. So um, I do have, okay, so what now? So they say they've never officially signed an endorsement? That is correct. There's a difference between somebody saying, well, I'm really supportive of you running for office, and somebody officially endorsing. Okay. And you have them listed there as endorsers. I do not have a current email from Barbara Nemco, but we did talk recently, and she said that she endorsed me uh, about three months ago. There there is a difference of both substance and kind between supporting and endorsing. Okay, in, you know, somebody supports you. Somebody says, yeah, it's great that you're running. You know, you've done great work in the community. I really think it's great that you're running. That's not an endorsement. Okay, right. So Alfredo and I just had this conversation where he said he felt like I he had not endorsed me. That's correct. And I had this printed, and he contacted me about it. And I said, but Alfredo, we... We talked, and I don't want to say he said, she said, but, you know, he and I chatted about it, and he said, well, why couldn't I endorse all three of you? 
Well, he said to me just the other day, he did not remember having that conversation with me. So I will accept that and I will um, run with that. And I told him that I had already printed my brochure, but that I would not use that on any additional material that I've printed because I clearly heard him say that he is not endorsing me. And County Superintendent uh, Barbara Demico? Uh, I haven't called her. My understanding was she did endorse me. And when I first announced that I was running for city council, I called her and asked for her endorsement. And she said, absolutely. So it was my understanding. She said she was supportive of you running for Uh, office and thought that was a good thing. That's not an endorsement. Okay, but I think that the difference between supporting and saying, you know, great that you're running, you know, it's good that you're out there and, and doing that is fundamentally different from a formal endorsement. Okay, and that's a fair statement. But my understanding was that, and I have it in writing, when she endorsed me in 2012, and when my understanding was... Correct me, but I think we're in 2016. We are, we are. (laughs) And so that's why I circle back through to see if that endorsement was still standing. And that was my understanding. I have not currently spoken to her, and she has not currently told me that that's not the case. But it was my understanding, and... I did speak to her in January, but I do not have an email and do not have it in writing from January. So if that's the case, which you're saying, and I was unaware, I'm sure to call her and apologize for any misunderstanding because I did think that she was endorsing me for this race. What do you think that you would do on the council that would be different that would change whatever issues that that you have that you're not happy with the direction of the city at this point okay what I'm sorry what was the question what do you think you would contribute to the council that would make a difference in the way the city is run well I think that I'm a a great advocate for the people a great person that is uh, invested and involved and I'm a certainly a leader among people with uh, that are the fringe groups I'm a great leader among the people that some call the voiceless I don't I don't really think anybody is voiceless but I'm certainly an advocate for the poor and the hungry and the homeless and the downtrodden the sex trafficked and the people that are suicide uh, survivors as well as foster care and the mental health issues. I think I bring a passion for um, the impoverished that is fresh and different than anybody else on the council. Doris Gentry, I thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.